Peter was a fisherman. His brother was a fisherman. All of his friends were fishermen. In fact, just uh, not far from where Peter and his brother were fishing were some friends of his by the name of James and John. They were fishing along the shores of Galilee, which is in the north part of Israel. Uh, They had likely maybe even heard of this person named Jesus. They maybe even had snuck away from their fishing duties to uh, go hear him speak or to watch him heal someone or to watch him perform a miracle. And so when Jesus walks up to the shores of Galilee, everyone stops what they're doing. They're wondering if something spectacular is going to happen. Now, they weren't uh, very far from the shore, and Jesus is standing there, maybe even close enough to be able to make eye contact with Peter in a boat. And he says, come, follow me. And I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Then Jesus walks down the shore um, to the place where James and John and their father was fishing. And he says, Jesus called to them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him as well. These were Jesus' first disciples. And they were unlikely picks. To to sit at the feet of a rabbi and to learn from uh, someone in this kind of role, it was was an honor. Especially in this Jewish culture, it was reserved for those who went to the best synagogues and could pay for the best education. Uh, To to get the right to be able to sit at the feet of a rabbi, it wasn't for fishermen. It wasn't for people who didn't know it you know, didn't know the difference between one Old Testament book or the other. They would be looked down upon, these disciples. They they would be picked on, and eventually they would even suffer because of being a student of Jesus. And Jesus would add other disciples. He would add people like Thomas and Simon the Zealot and Philip and even Judas. Some of these maybe you've heard of. But Peter, James, and John, his first three, they were his first. And they would be his closest his closest friends. Peter would often pull Jesus aside, and Jesus would pull Peter aside, and they'd have these intimate conversations. Even James and John would get this extra time with Jesus, and then all three of them would often hang out with Jesus and get to experience things the others didn't. In the weeks that lead up to Easter, we're going to be spending some time with Peter, James, and John. And uh, we're going to look at their stories in the Gospels as a lens for exploring our own. For answering this question, what does it really look like to be friends with Jesus? In our culture, Christians often talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus. So my question is, what did that really look like? For the three who really did have a physical, real-life, personal relationship with Jesus. What does it look like to be one of his closest disciples? Today we're going to look at the story of Peter. Next week we're going to look at the story of James and John. And then the four weeks after that, leading up to Easter, we're going to look at four stories where James and John and Peter are all pulled out of the 12 disciples. They were one of the 12, and they were kind of invited out of that and invited to experience something unique that the others didn't get to. That's where we're headed. But today I want to tell you about Peter, Jesus' first disciple. I want to do that by telling you a story. By telling you his story. His story, as it as is found in the Gospels, uh, specifically the Gospels of Matthew and the Gospel of John. I've compiled all of these stories that uh, include personal interactions between Peter and Jesus. And, and I put them in order, and then I kind of worked them into a story. Um, if you want the complete biblical text of all of these different stories, I'll send it to you. I have it. Uh, but this will include my own paraphrases and interpretation. But it's also going to include a lot of quotes from Scripture. And so as we go, when scripture is quoted directly, I'm going to put it up on the screen. 
Um, and if you want, you can jot down the scripture reference and you can go read that story in its original context. And, and I encourage you to do that. But here's Peter's story. And Peter's story begins with a story about free food, as any good story does. Peter's story begins with Jesus was just done passing out a whole lot of free food to thousands of people. And he left. He was done. They had eaten. They had had their fill. He left. He moved on. But the crowds followed him. Why? To learn from him? To become one of his disciples? To experience the kingdom of God? No. They wanted more free food. And you can't blame them. Free food's the best. And, and, and at first, uh, first bunch, the first wasn't enough, and so they come for more. And Jesus, he wasn't going to have that. Jesus loved to meet people's basic needs, but he wasn't interested in t- them taking advantage of him or missing the bigger picture. So the crowds gather, and they pretend they aren't looking for more free food, but Jesus sees through them, and he gathers them together, and he says this. He says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, me, Jesus, will give you. You come looking for bread. He had just given them a bunch of bread for free, miraculously from heaven. But I have something better, something way better. And they're like, better? How much better? And Jesus is like, way better. Like even more free food than last time? He's like, no, 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 no. This time I'm going to give you a lesson. And they're like, a lesson? Yes, a lesson. But we want food. Well, this lesson is better than food. It doesn't sound better than food. But no, this lesson's better food because it comes from God. And so the people are like, okay, well, 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 well. It comes from God. Then it must be better. But can you prove to us that it came from God? See, when Moses claimed to come from God, he gave the people a sign so they knew it. You know what his sign was, Jesus? He made bread fall from heaven. Do that, and we'll believe you. And Jesus is like, no. They almost tricked him. Jesus has this ongoing back and forth with the crowds and the people and the leaders of those people, and eventually he just gets fed up and he says some crazy things. He says, he says no, 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 here's the lesson. I am bread that God is sending from heaven. You come for free bread, but I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And everyone's like, wait, what? Here's a really good way to become popular. Give something away for free. Give free food. Become very popular. Here's a really good way to no longer be popular. Tell people that the next course involves eating your flesh. You lose a lot of fans. Jesus lost a lot of followers that day. Like a lot. Like thousands of people left. Thousands of people stopped following Jesus. In one statement, Jesus went from a mega church of thousands to a small group of 12. And for good reason, he was talking crazy. Now, hold on to that. We won't tell you what Jesus really meant, not right now. Instead, consider how the disciples must have felt being the only 12 left. There, you know. Everyone else is gone. You know, it's, it's, it's especially hard to follow someone that is really popular and then all of a sudden isn't so popular just like that. 
And so it's only natural. They start talking amongst themselves. The disciples, just quite honestly, they're like, I'm not sure. Like, he might have jumped the shark on this one. I'm not sure about this whole thing. Maybe we should leave too. And so Jesus, he senses this, and he says, he said, Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? What a great question. Do you? Do you want to give up and go away because all of this is too strange and hard and unusual? Do you want to go away as well? Or are you willing to follow Jesus even when it doesn't make sense? That's the question that opens the door for Peter's story. Some of you are like, I thought this was going to be about Peter. It is. The disciples are thinking about giving in. They're thinking about giving up, throwing in the towel, calling it a day. And Jesus wasn't going to try and convince them otherwise. I love that. Jesus, Jesus never begged anyone to be his disciple. Never begged them. In fact, he gives them the door. He says, do you want to leave too? He says, do you want to go away as well? And before anyone has a chance to speak up, Peter, this becomes a theme of Peter's life, by the way, he says, before anyone else gets the chance to even think about it, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter's like, we're here. We're not leaving. We believe you. You've got what we need. This isn't the only time Peter stepped up and kept them together and said what everyone should be saying. Once Jesus asked his disciples, he said, hey, what are people saying about me? I would just add that that's a very, um, that's a hard question for a leader to ask. Hey, what are people saying about me? I'm not sure I want to ask any of you that question. <laughs> Jesus does, though. He says, hey, what are people saying about me? And they answer. And it's mostly good stuff. They think maybe he's a prophet or something like that. And then Jesus asks the real question. He says, well, who do you say that I am? That's the question. Who do you say that I am? And once again, Peter, bold, kind of annoying at times, speaks up before anyone gets a chance to think about it. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Boom. I don't care what other people say. We know you and we're with you. Here's the thing about Peter. He was capable of being used by God. Jesus could see that. It was this time when he spoke up, this particular time when he spoke up and just said that. He said, you are the Messiah. That Jesus responds and says, you know, those words aren't even your words. That's the Spirit giving you those words. God is speaking through you right now, Peter, and that's a beautiful thing. It's so beautiful that you allowed God to speak through you that I am going to make you the leader of our future church. He says, I tell you that you are Peter. In the Greek, that's uh, 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 Petros. And he says, you are Peter. And on this rock, in the Greek is Petra, he says, I, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Peter, you will be the foundation, and the, the proclamation you made will be the foundation I used to build God's church on earth. What an honor. Except here's the thing. Peter didn't quite understand what this kingdom was supposed to be. He didn't realize that this kingdom, this community that he would be the leader of, was an upside-down kingdom. That those at the top, which he was just given the place of, actually serve at the bottom. That to be promoted in the kingdom of God is really to be demoted. To be promoted as the leader is to be demoted to a servant. It's upside down. But that's how Jesus' kingdom works, and, and that's where Jesus is headed. He, he would become, God became human, and then human would become servant, and then servant would become prisoner, and prisoner would become, uh, die on a cross. Lower and lower and lower and lower and lower. So Jesus tells him where all this is headed. He says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. That's the trajectory of Jesus. 
And if we're honest, that's the trajectory of Peter's life if he continues to follow Jesus. Lower and lower and lower. But Peter's the new leader, and maybe he's feeling a little overly confident. So he's just been told by Jesus that he's going to be the rock that all of this is built on. And he's like, you know what, Jesus, you need to stop talking like this. So he pulls Jesus aside, and he says, you know, so Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. He says, never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Just a point uh, to note, a bad strategy, rebuking Jesus. It's just not a great, but this is Peter, future leader of the church. He's like, Jesus, you can't suffer and die. You're our leader. I will go down fighting, which he does. So Jesus turned to him, to Peter, and he said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have the mind, uh, the concerns of God, but merely human. So, so one second, he's like, Peter, you are the future leader of the church. And the next second, he's like, get behind me, Satan. This is Peter. Future leader of the church. Whew. That's what I love about Peter. He was a lot of things, but he, he wasn't boring. He was either killing it or failing spectacularly. Anyone else in the room that, that describes your life? You know, this is what happens when you are far from perfect, but still very bold. I'm sure you know someone in your life who's very bold. And they're good at stepping out. When everyone else steps back, they step forward, and sometimes it's just perfect. And other times it's like, sit down. It's never more clear than when uh, this time when Peter walked on water. The disciples were out on the boat. Jesus was out on the shore. Jesus walks out to the boat on the water. They all see him. They think he's a ghost. Of course they do. Everyone's freaking out. Jesus says, it's me. And Peter says, prove it. Let me walk on water too. Because if you're, you know, you're really you and this is for real and it's, we're not just high, then let me walk on water too. And Jesus is like, okay. So Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus, which is crazy. And he freaks out. And he starts to sink, which means he freaks out even more. And Jesus has to save him. And everyone's like, oh, Peter, why did you doubt? Jesus even asked him, Peter, why did you doubt? Why did you sink? Couldn't you trust Jesus where feet might fail, as the song goes? He was walking on water. I love that Peter puts himself into places where doubt is inevitable. Being bold will do that. You might bite off more than you can chew, but it's only then that you find yourself so dearly in need of Jesus. You, you don't need Jesus to rescue you unless you first step out of the boat. Peter would have to learn this lesson. He would always step out of the boat and, boat and speak his mind and get himself into trouble, and it was a good thing. Peter didn't hold back. One time, Peter asked a question that I think defines his story. It's a question I think we all need to ask. It's a question we all will ask. It's a question we need to wrestle with, and it's not an easy question. It is a bold question. One time, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Isn't that the question of human relationships? How many times should I give someone a second chance? How many times should I give my spouse a second chance? How many times should I give my kids a second chance? And Peter's so bold, he throws out a number. He says, here's what I'm thinking, Jesus. I'll forgive someone for every day of the week, and that's it. Seven, they messed me up seven times. Seven seems fair. Someone hurts me more than seven times, surely that's too much. Jesus disagrees. He throws out a different number. He says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And then he tells him a parable. And the point of the parable is pretty simple. 
Jesus' point of the parable was simply this. You need only forgive other people for as often as God has forgiven you. You need only forgive someone as often as God has forgiven you. So how many times have you been forgiven? For when you've doubted, for when you've gotten it wrong, for when you were too bold or too rash or too whatever? How many times, Peter? How many times you think you can receive God's forgiveness countless times and then turn around and put a limit on the forgiveness you give others? I don't think so, Peter. Jesus really was a very good rabbi. The truth is, Peter would need quite a bit of forgiveness. After three years of walking and learning from Jesus, Peter and the others still didn't get it. So the night Jesus would be betrayed, he gathered his disciples together for a Passover meal. Passover meal was a pretty standard meal. It was a celebration that happened um, to remember everything that happened at the time of the Exodus. But it was more than just a, a place where they would break bread and drink wine. Um, it was more than a place where they'd eat bitter herbs. and Everything they ate had meaning. And it pointed back to this exodus. Everything they, they eat would point back to the story of how God delivered them out of Egypt in this exodus story. It was all built into this meal. And they are eating this meal with Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm going to explain this meal in a new way. He gives them a new way of thinking about breaking bread and drinking wine or juice. The bread and the wine at the table would mean something. And he goes on to explain. He says, I'm going to suffer and die. And the bread would represent my body that would be broken. And the wine, this is juice, would represent my blood that would be shed. And every time you eat it, you'd be reliving. You'd pull this ancient story that happened thousands of years ago, and you'd bring it right into the present, just like the Passover would for the Exodus. Now, of course, uh, that hard teaching about eating Jesus' body and drinking his blood would finally make sense. Most things with Jesus do if you wait long enough. This would, it was an old meal made new, pointed to what would happen next, Jesus dying on the cross. But before that could happen, Jesus does something different. He picks up the servant's basin, and he picks up a towel, and he gets down, and he starts washing his disciples' feet. I'm not going to wash your feet. I mean, I, no, okay, yeah. And he washes his disciples' feet. This is a common practice. This was something uh, that would happen in a world with dirt roads and sandals. But, but it was a role that was reserved for the lowest of the servants, the, the work of the lowest person in the room. It was not appropriate for rabbis or leaders. And yet here's Jesus kneeling down, washing his disciples' feet like a common slave. And everyone was uncomfortable in the room. But it's Peter, of course, who says something about it. Jesus gets to him and he says, no, said Peter. You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. He's like, Peter, how can we be one if we don't serve each other? You would wash my feet if I asked it. So we can't be one if I'm not allowed to wash yours. How can we be one if we don't serve each other equally and mutually? Don't you see, Peter, that promotion in the kingdom of God feels like a demotion to everyone else? To be a leader in this community, you move down, not up. Peter would need to learn this lesson, but it's a hard lesson to learn. It is. It was then, and it still is today. This is the trajectory Jesus is headed he had already told his disciples where he would go. He would have to eventually suffer and die. He tells them again, but this time he has more bad news. He says, he says, soon a time is coming where I will be turned over and die as a criminal. 
And when that happens, you all, all of his disciples in the room, you're going to run and hide. Every single one of you is going to run and hide and forsake me. It's going to happen. I'm telling you it's going to happen because I want you to know that it's going to happen and that I know that it's going to happen. And just because it happens doesn't change how I feel about you. Peter could not believe the nonsense Jesus was saying yet again. And so he says what everyone else won't say, even if all fall away. He's throwing his disciples, other disciples under the bus at this point. Even if all of you, everyone else in the room, doesn't get it right, I never will. So Peter looks at, so Jesus looks at Peter. He has to, you know, realize he has to get knocked down a few bars here. And he says to him specifically, truly I tell you, Jesus answered this very night before the rooster crows, before the break of morning, you will disown me three times. Not just once, not just twice, three times. For the person who likes to keep track of how many times someone messes up, Peter, you will disown me three times. Jesus is arrested, and Peter does what he always does. He acts rashly. It's a great little story. He pulls out his sword. Turns out he'd been carrying a sword this whole time. That's burying the lead. And he maims the soldier that came to arrest Jesus. He's ready to fight to the death. Jesus tells him to stop. And I wonder if Peter's thinking, how am I to lead if I'm not allowed to do what needs to be done? So Peter runs, but not far. Jesus is put on trial. He's beaten. And Peter stays close enough to watch them torture Jesus, and it's here that someone sees him and accuses him of being a disciple of Jesus, and he denies it, of course. No one wants to be imprisoned or beaten like that, let alone strung up on a cross, so he denies it. Then someone else notices him, and he accuses him, and Peter again says, it's not me, you're mistaking me for someone else, and it happens one more time, and he denies it three times. He denies any connection with Jesus. And then morning breaks, and the rooster crows, and he remembered what Jesus said. And he couldn't handle it. So he goes outside and he wept bitterly. Peter had run out of impulsive answers. His boldness and his courage and his rashness had all been beaten out of him. He was done. He was washed up. He was no good. He was afraid. He was a failure. He's got nothing left, only tears. Peter likely never reached a lower place in his life. For Jesus, moving downward is the way of leadership. But for Peter, these steps into humiliation only further convinced him of the lie he'd been telling himself all along. I'm no good. He couldn't be the leader of the church. He couldn't be the leader of the disciples. He failed, and he failed in the worst way possible. Now, Jesus wouldn't remain dead. He would rise, and he would show up. He showed up a couple of times, but he never stayed very long. He came, and he went, so he was alive, but not like before. And so Peter does what he only knows to do. He doesn't know what's supposed to happen next, so he does what he makes sense for him to do. He decides to go fishing. And this story ends the way that it started. Peter is fishing, along with a lot of the other disciples. He turns out he's a natural leader. They get into the boat and the water, and they can't catch anything, of course. It's been three years since they last fished. And then someone walks up to their boat and up to the shore and looking at them. You've, you've seen this scene before. It's where we started. We've been there. The stranger tells them to throw their nets in this particular area. They do. They catch more fish than they've ever caught before. And then one of the disciples is like, wait, that's Jesus on the shore. He was back again. And so Peter, like before, steps out of the boat, but this time he did swim. And he gets to shore. And the others hauled the fish in. They drug it up. 
Jesus already had some fish. They added more to it, and they cooked over an open fire, and they ate, and they laughed, and they enjoyed their time with their friend and their teacher. And then looking at the fish in this huge hall, hundreds of 153, 56 fish, the most successful Peter probably had ever done as a fisherman, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? It's like Jesus wanted Peter once again to taste success. I need you to know what success feels like so I can ask you, I need to know, do you love me more than success? And, and at this point, he knows all about failure, and he knows all about success, and he might be tempted to love one and hate the other, and that's not what Jesus is concerned with. He says, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Then Jesus looks him in the eyes and says, feed my lambs. He says, if you love me, then lead my church. Now, I think Jesus knows Peter's a little impulsive, so he asks again. He says, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So he says it again. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Can you imagine how Peter might have felt? Me, lead your church? Even now, after all that I've done wrong, how? But as he's thinking that, Jesus asked one more time. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. He's good at keeping track of these things. Do you love me, he said. Uh, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. So Jesus said once again, feed my sheep. Peter, I want you to lead my church. This hasn't changed since I said it the first time. It didn't change when I called you Satan. It didn't change when you doubted and you sank into the water. It didn't change when you asked hard questions about forgiveness. It didn't change when you argued with me about washing your feet. It didn't change when you drew your sword and tried to fight your way out of it. It didn't change when you ran away. It didn't change when you denied me three times. I want you to lead my church. And I've told you that three times. You are mine. I am yours, and I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you always. Nothing can separate me and you from my love, not, not even death. So if you love me, serve me by serving others. Love me, love me by loving others. Feed my sheep. Soon after the church is born, and friends, it's been as imperfect and messy and filled with opportunities to forgive and love and mess up and try again as it was when it was first born. We're just as confused as Peter and sometimes too bold and other times not bold enough. And sometimes we try too hard and sometimes we run and hide, but we are the church. And God isn't done with us yet. When Alyssa and I had the chance to go to Israel, we got to visit the shore of Galilee the very shore where tradition says this conversation with Peter happened. While there, our guide was telling the story of the three times Jesus asked him if he loved him, and I was so profoundly hit by that story that here's this Peter who had not quite gotten it right, and yet Jesus said, no, 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 this is about calling, not worthiness. It's not because you do the right thing, but because I love you, because you're mine, because you're called. And so I reached out and I grabbed some rocks from the shore. I, I thought it was appropriate because, you know, it's Peter and his name means rock and, you know, it's fun. And I always thought that I would um, give these to someone at some point with a little note that told the story and said, hey, you know, I know you've been doubting your call or you've had questions and I want, I want you to know that, that no matter what you've done, no matter what ways you've messed up, no matter where you've fallen short, like God, God still 
God still wants to do something with you. I was holding on to these for years now. They've been in a box, and I thought today was the day to uh, give them out. But I only have seven. So I have more rocks that I bought at Lowe's. I'm going to add those, and like yeast, we'll just let that meaning fuse through them all. If you're here today, and you want to be able to hold on to something, Jesus loved us to be able to hold on to things and say, you know what, I'm here. I haven't always gotten it right, but God isn't done with me. If that's your story, if you relate to Peter's story at all, I encourage you later, when you have the chance to come forward, to grab a rock, hold on to it, put it somewhere special as a reminder that a lot of things can change, but... God's call in our life never does. I'm going to invite the band to come up. Friends, we're going to sing uh, a couple verses of our closing song. And then in the middle of the song, um, once we're ready, uh, it'll be up on the screen. Uh, We'll invite you to come forward and take communion. Um, I invite you to pray with me. God, we come before you and we give you thanks for your uh, willingness to sacrifice all. To meet us in this moment. To change us. For calling us even though we're not perfect for using us all the same. Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd fall on these gifts of bread and juice, that you'd make them be for us the very body and, and blood of Christ, that we might be the body of Christ in this world, that you might meet us in this moment, that we might pull that story of Jesus' death and resurrection into the present, and you might, through your power of the Holy Spirit, meet us, feed us, change us. Fill us up with eternal life now, a life that is abundant. We give you thanks for all the ways that you work in our lives. In your name, amen.